God has designed our physical bodies to heal. I realize that sin has infected us, and there'll be a day that if he doesn't return and call his church home through a rapture, that there'll be a day we all die. But for most things that we are infected with or affected by, God has designed there to be healing. Now that requires attention to whatever the wound is. It requires some time. It requires cleansing. And it usually requires someone who knows a little bit more about our circumstances than us, right? That's why we go to people to help us be healed. And just as those are all true physically, they are true if for our mind, emotions, our will, and even our spirit. God desires for us to know healing, but it means we have to pay attention to the wound. You've got to admit that it's there. You've got to be aware that it's there. You've got to allow for some cleansing to take place, for some time to pass, and for someone to help you through the process. I'm glad that God has designed the church in such a way that we have relationships with one another, that there are different gifts within the body, there are people at different paths along the journey that we can go to in our time of need. Amen? We're not just here as a bunch of uh, isolated members. We are a body gathered for a purpose, and God calls us together in that. So in this series, The Cross Heals, we've been looking at the ways that God does heal us. He heals us in our spirit. He begins a process of healing in our mind, our emotions, and our will and behavior Today we're going to venture off into an area that our, uh, our bumper video really paints a picture of, and this is healing that happens in relationships. So before I get into the message, let me just remind you, if you have questions today that come up in your head during the message, you have a way to send those to us. Go ahead and get your phone out if you want. If you'll point your camera at this QR code, it'll take you to a link and you can submit questions today. We had many people do that last week and we based our podcast this week or this past week on that. You can go back and listen to the podcast uh, from this past week and we answer the questions. And we don't say, this person asked this question, but we address the questions. So uh, feel free to, uh, at any time today during the message, if you think of something uh, that maybe we're not covering today or you think of some aspect or application, go ahead and send that question in. It will become how we develop our podcast for this week. So uh, feel free to do that along the way. So on this side of heaven, we all know there are going to be wounds even in relationships. Because we live in a fallen world and because we're living in a, in a world that's under the curse of sin, we are going to experience heartache, loss, misunderstandings, confusion, and conflict in relationships, right? That's not one of those things you all say amen to, but I think we can all nod our heads and say yes, you know, I, I know, what you're, I know exactly what you're talking about. And Christians are not immune from this. We, because we live in that same world and the rain falls on the just and the unjust, there are still times that we go through conflict. Christian couples, hold on now, hold, listen to this. Christian couples experience conflict from time to time. In case you didn't know that, Heather and I still experience conflict from time to time. It happens. It happened this past week for us. But God gave us his word, his promise, his plan, and we worked through conflict even this past week. There is a way for there to be healing even in our relationship conflict. Now, sin is what brought problems into the whole situation. Sin is what brought problem to Adam and Eve. Sin is what caused a relationship break between them and God. Sin is what caused a relationship break between them together. Sin is what caused a relationship break between them and everyone else and even the world around them. It all started because of a choice of sin. And in that moment, relationships were broken. They were the ones who were running and hiding. 
They are the ones who distrusted. They are the ones who started blaming one another. They are the ones who are in conflict. They are the ones who are trying to justify themselves. They are the ones who are trying to fix the whole situation themselves without God. And God mercifully stepped in to the situation. Because what was broken wasn't just the relationship. What was broken was their ability to relate. God wasn't broken. His view of them wasn't broken. But their ability to relate to God and to one another was broken because of sin. So today, our message title is called Jesus Heals your ability to relate. It's important. Relationships are a thing, but they don't just break on their own. They break because of people in the relationships. And you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given all the tools and skills that you need for having healthy relationships, but we're all in different parts of the journey of understanding how to use our tools, amen? We're still in the process, we're still learning. And so my prayer today is that we pick up some new tools in the toolbox. We learn some new things today about how to relate so that you can have that ability to relate be healed in you because you were born with it broken. You came out of the box that way, already broken. And then you experienced life. And if you're like everybody else, you went through some broken relationship times in your life where things broke even more. And now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he is beginning that work of healing you along the way. So, Let's go to our board here. Uh, I'm gonna draw some things out today. I think it'll help picture all of this. It's really interesting that, that Jesus does this healing in us because he not only heals in us this ability to relate, but in the New Testament, it says that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we actually should become experts in mended relationships and actually knowing how to do that. In fact, I'm about to read the passage that's gonna tell us that this should actually be what you and I are known for. We should be known as the people on the planet who know how to fix the broken in relationships. Listen to this, make a note, it's not gonna be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, make a note. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself, he fixed the break through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry, the desire, the passion, and even the ability to reconcile. That, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them, and has committed or given to us the word of reconciliation. You might say, I don't feel like no expert in reconciliation. I understand. But we are on the path to become that, amen? Because that's what the Bible tells us we're called to be. And if the Bible tells us that's what we're called to be, then whether I feel like it or not, I ought to be pursuing that, right? Amen? All right, good. I'm glad we're all enrolled today in the school to become experts in reconciliation. So, so here's what happens. Uh, if we're going to picture all this kind of visually here, I hope you brought your pad to do some drawing maybe along the way. Um, Y'all bring a pad and paper and draw along the way, or you're just like some folks who come up here afterwards, take a picture of it, and like, ah, got it, right? Yeah, you're welcome to do that. We'll put it back up after the service today. So uh, you and I have this thing in us that makes relationships break, and even our ability to be good at them in and of ourselves is not good. We're not great at it at all. 
In fact, we stumble through them and it's awkward and we don't know really how to fix them. And you got this, if you're like a lot of people, you've got kind of this trail in the past of broken, 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 right along the way. But Jesus has come to heal all of that. He's come to make all things new. He's come to do a work in us. He's come to heal what has been broken. He's come to change who we have been so that we might become new in him. He does this through what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He makes all things new in him. So um, when this happened in us, as we were born in sin, the Bible says, uh, we're not great at relationships. And what it does is it causes some weird things to happen. The Bible says it this way, Isaiah, your iniquities have separated you from your God, your iniquities, your sins. I do have this verse for us to look at. Your iniquities have separated you from God. They are the thing that has broken your ability to relate to God. And what that does within us, it causes some things to happen. The same things that happened for Adam and Eve so that we Instead of wanting to deal with the situation, instead of wanting to be honest about it, we tend to have something happen and we want to isolate. We want to pull away. That's because you've been infected by sin. That's what that is. That's some of the residue of sin in your life. You don't just naturally say, hey, I really messed up. I really want to make things right. Can you forgive me for what I just said and did to you? Hello, that's not normal for all of us as people, right? Instead, we say something, we do something, we don't like what they did to us, and we kind of don't like what, even what we did back to them. So when it happens, we just you know, awkwardly isolate and try to pull away, get away from the situation. And then we turn into something that is very self Focus. This is kind of what Adam and Eve did. They isolated, they hid themselves from God when he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the Bible says. They isolated themselves and they got very self-focused. They started looking at themselves. They'd forgotten that he was good, that he was gracious, that he was kind, and he was the answer to all of their struggles. They isolated and they self-focused and they tried to fix it themselves and they became blame-oriented and they became angry with one another. He blamed her. She she blamed him. She blamed the serpent. Everybody's blaming. No one is, no one is owning up to it. Everyone's justifying. Each person is, is pointing out the other person's flaws. This is what happens when your ability to relate is broken. This is what happened for Adam and Eve. And then came the conflict. This is what happens. This is a result of sin in the world. This is the course of natural life. This is how everybody on earth handles broken relationship ability, right? This is what happens out there. This is the natural course of life. There's only one who can offer hope, and that is Jesus himself. We're gonna talk about how that turns into practical, tangible help today, but sin breaks our ability to put someone else first. That's not natural. Sin breaks our ability to try to think like the other person, to put their thoughts and feelings ahead of our own. Sin breaks our ability to be patient. Sin breaks our ability to forgive. Sin breaks our ability to serve someone else and put them first, consider their heart, consider their needs, consider what, what's best for them. Sin breaks all of that. Sin breaks our ability to sit at someone else's feet like Jesus did and wash their feet when they don't deserve it. Sin breaks all of that in us. But Jesus has come to heal all of that within us. So let's, um, let's talk about what this looks like when sin breaks our ability. Let's talk about what it means to have broken ability to relate. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to get um, awkwardly relevant today. Fair enough, yeah? So uh, if you feel a little squirmish in your seat, it's okay uh, because we're here to allow God to change us, right? And sometimes that gets a little squirmy inside, right? It's a little awkward. So 
here's some things that happen in us that reveal that we really have this broken ability to relate to God and other people in our life. The broken ability shows up like this first. It shows up in insecurity. When sin entered the world, it brought into Adam and Eve and every other person born after them insecurity. There would all of a sudden be this interest and fascination with being focused on myself. I become focused on my weaknesses, what I don't do well, what I'm bad at. And when you start focusing on yourself, do you see, do you see visually what happens? If I start focusing in on me, I become weak, powerless, and insecure. I am no longer strong, confident, and secure. I'm insecure. I focus on my weaknesses. And I do this funny thing then where I start assuming that you're thinking only negative about me. Isn't that weird how that works? Where all of a sudden our thoughts, when I think about the other person, I'm, I'm just assuming that the only thing that they think about me, the only thing that they, that they see in me are my weaknesses. This is the result of sin in our lives. This is a weakness. This is, this is how we've been broken by sin. Sin makes me obsessed even with what you think about me. I become just overly concerned about it and just obsessed with it. I've got to make you think good about me, but I really assume you think bad about me, so I'm stuck in this pit all the time of feeling insecure. Hello? Can anybody identify with me this morning? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Insecurity makes me withdraw. It makes me pull away. It makes me afraid to put myself out there. It makes me afraid to be in someone else's presence because I'm insecure. It's Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes away from God, thinking they could somehow camo themselves away from God. Impossible. Uh, insecurity makes me run when I'm uncertain about what the interaction's gonna be like. I'd rather get away from it than have to run to it. it. Insecurity makes you not communicate what's in your heart. You might be feeling it, you might be thinking it, it might be passionate, but because you're so afraid of what that other person might be thinking, you hold it all in, you keep it all in. You feel uncertain, weak, and insecure, so you don't communicate. You internalize everything, and you, when that happens, you're not present in a relationship any longer. You're not there. Oh, you might physically be there, but you're emotionally disengaged. You're mentally somewhere else. You are pulling away in that moment. You feel inadequate. You overcompensate to try to be liked. You second guess everything and you overanalyze every conversation. Is it getting squirmy in here yet or not? Yeah? This is, this is what happens. Sin breaks our ability to relate and this, this really breaks relationships. It's funny how in our world today, this is almost just an accepted thing. It's kind of like, oh, that's just my personality. I'm just naturally insecure. No, that's not a personality trait. That is a sin effect, effect in your life. That's really not supposed to be there. Jesus has come to remove that from you, being insecure. Let's talk about another one that, that reflects a, a broken ability. Is when there's guilt or self-punishment. Now, we've talked about this a little bit already, where all of a sudden I become so weighed down with my past that it affects how I even relate to someone else. I'm all of a sudden interested in trying to hide my thoughts and feelings. I got to hide them. I got to cover them because I don't want anybody to see what I've done, where I've been, what I've said, I'm covered over with guilt and I carry the weight of past failures. I carry it. Oh, you might not see it, but in my head, it's playing like a bad VCR tape all the time that just keeps on loop 
play, rewind, play, rewind. And it replays everything I've done. And it puts me in this place of, of condemnation. It puts me in this place of heaviness. And I get obsessed even about replaying it. Here's how deceptive the enemy is. He even makes you think that that's what you ought to be doing as a believer is replaying your faults. Because if you could somehow replay them enough and bear them enough that they might go away. Such a lie, such a deception. There's only one who can take away sin and that's Jesus himself. And when he takes it away, he takes it away permanently. You were not meant in Jesus Christ to keep carrying a bucket load of VCR tapes from your past. They will destroy your relationships. If you're played it on a rewind, you're not even present in the moment when you're trying to have a relationship with someone. And then this weird thing happens where we start thinking we've got to somehow pay for all of these ourselves as well. I not only have to play them, but I gotta pay for them. I gotta, I've got to do. I've got to do painful things to myself to pay for those things. I got to make lesser decisions, lesser choices. Have you ever seen, just rewind for some, a little bit of time here. Do you remember when there was a friend you had and they chose to start dating somebody and you think, what in the world do they see in them? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, they had no business being with that person. Sometimes the reason that people make a choice for the wrong person is because they don't believe they deserve anything better than that person. They beat themselves up to the point that they make lesser choices in their life. And so they choose the wrong kind of person to date. They choose the wrong group of friends to hang with. They choose the wrong places to go and they punish themselves in that. And then it starts this really ugly loop of where you do the thing to make yourself maybe feel you know, better about being bad and then you feel bad about being bad so you got to do something else over here to try to make yourself feel better about your bad so you drink some more, eat some more, hang out some more, do some more drugs, do whatever it is you do. You do that to medicate all this problem and the enemy says, gotcha, stuck in the loop of guilt, gotcha. That's what Jesus came to free us from. They believe you deserve pain you believe you can't have God's favor because of your past. You start thinking there's no way I could have blessing. And you hear people talk about living blessed and having the blessings of God. And you think, ah, there's no way I could ever do that because of my past. Wrong. You don't have what you have in Christ because you had a perfect past. You have what you have in Christ because you have a perfect savior. Amen. And that's the only, only reason you believe you even have to hurt. That that is actually your destiny in life, is to hurt, is to suffer, is to be under the weight, to make bad choices and to do the wrong things. And then you end up even relating by guilting other people. You ever been around people who guilt other people? who use little leading statements and, and, and say things like, well, I sure wish someone would love me like that. Well, you don't, you don't ever come around me like you do your other friends. Well, you don't love me like you do your siblings. All those kind of things. Those are all guilt-inducing statements that come from people usually who are carrying a lot of guilt. That's the way they, they think. That's the way they operate. So that's how they choose to relate. And guilting will break a relationship. Hello? Because nobody in the end wants to be around that stuff. A lot of people get stuck up under it, but nobody enjoys that stuff. They relate by punishing others. They relate even by hearing guilt from others. Man, once you walk around with this long enough... That's actually all you hear from somebody. They come up and they try to say something nice to you and you interpret it as negative. You interpret it as more guilt. You interpret it as more attack. This is what sin does. It breaks our ability to have healthy relationships. 
Let's add to our list here. Sin also makes us desperate <clears throat> for attention. You ever been around someone who's just desperate for all the attention? They walk into a room and they got to have all eyes on them. They've got to be the loudest. They got to be the smartest. They've got to be the funniest. They've got to be the one who tells the story. They've got to be the one who gets the attention because they are a black hole inside. They don't feel attention. They don't feel loved. And so they've got to get attention from others. So when they come into a room, they read the room in terms of who's here and who can I get some attention from. They follow whatever the crowd is wanting to do because that's how you get the attention. Whatever this group wants to do, I'll go in that direction. It may be against my convictions as a believer in Jesus Christ, but boy, they'll give me some attention, so I'll go down that path. I'll go do whatever they want to do. I'll talk like they want to talk. I'll go where they want to go. I'll do what they want to do because that's how I get some attention. That's what happens when you have a broken ability to relate and you're desperate for attention. You'll go wherever the crowd goes. You'll end up thinking you have to be with the in crowd, the cool crowd. You think you have to be up in the middle of that stuff. You can't dare stand out. You can't dare risk letting someone know you think differently, that you have different convictions, that you have different priorities, because you have to be in the in crowd, and their mind can't rest. For someone like this, Man, they are just, their mind is racing because they've got to find a way to get some attention. When you're desperate for it, it becomes all you pursue. So you start looking at people as ways to get attention. You start using people. You start abusing people. You start taking advantage of people. You start manipulating people to get the attention that you want. You guilt others into building you up. Well, you never say anything nice about me. How come you don't, you don't talk about me like you talk about them? And boy, down the road we go with this. They, they're the ones so desperate for the attention, they're willing to lie if they need to, cheat if they need to, cover whatever they need to so they can get the attention that they crave. Desperate for attention. It's sad because that makes them really unable to sense need in someone else, unable to be sensitive to someone else, unable to see when someone else is hurting, unable to see when someone else needs to have some love shown toward them. They're so focused on themselves, they don't even sense need around them. They just are so focused on their own need. But then the last one that shows our broken ability is when you get a victim mindset. It's just all ugly over here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's true. When you get a, a victim mindset, and boy, this is just the prevailing thought in culture today. I'm the victim. I've been wounded by you. It's your fault. I would be better if it wasn't for you. I would have different if it wasn't for you. You're the reason I hurt. You're the reason I have less. You're the reason for this. You're the reason I don't have enough money. You're the reason I don't have a bigger house. You're the reason, I, and now I want what you have because you're the reason for my unhappiness. Victim mentality. They see life as against them. They see God as against them. They see everybody as against them. And they're convinced of it. They're persuaded by it. And so everybody is the one they want to blame. Everybody is the one they want to tank down. Everybody. And they see everything as negative and they are usually the ones who always complain about how much they have been hurt. They want everybody to see their wounds. They want everybody to see how terrible life is. They have a difficulty in seeing any good. The future is always dark. And they're the ones who end up hurting other people. You ever heard the phrase that says, hurt people, hurt people? People that are hurt, hurt other people. This is it. They wear their hurt. I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, well, I would say Boy Scouts, but, you know, well, we don't say Boy Scouts anymore. Uh, if you ever were in Awanas, you know, uh, growing up, Cub Scouts, you know, those little things, you know, you got the, you wore the, the little 
shirt, coat, you know, vest, whatever it was, and you got all these little badges that you wore on the outside. If it was a one, you know, I was like, I memorized the books of the Bible. I can quote 17 verses in the Old Testament, whatever. You know, you just a perfect attendance. I played the games. You just, you keep earning these little badges. That's people today. I want you to see all my wound badges. You know, I've got, I've got this problem. I've got that dysfunction. I've got this difficulty. I've got this disorder. And the more of those you get, you know, the more the world looks at it and says, oh, you know, you have the most badges. You're the most hurt today. You're the most wounded. Oh, my. When you get a victim mentality, you start celebrating your wounds. And that stuff just causes all kinds of problems. You will not have any healthy relationships if you got all this going on inside you, right? This is what shows your ability to relate has been broken. This is what sin did in the garden. This is what your own sin has done in your life. It breaks your ability to relate, right? And that's all pretty sad news so far. It's all pretty difficult to hear. Let's talk about some good news because God sees us in our brokenness. He sees you. In fact, this list is not somebody else. This list is what we've all dealt with, right? If we're going to be honest, if you, if you say, I never struggled with any of those, you might need to have a conversation with that person sitting next to you later today and just let them be honest with you for a little bit. Hello? Um, Jesus sees us in our brokenness just like God saw Adam and Eve in their brokenness. And he came to them. He didn't say, oh no, they've broken their ability to relate. I'm out of here. No, he came to them. And he saw what they tried to do. He saw how they tried to cover it. He saw them in their blame and the Bible says in Genesis that God took an animal and he sacrificed that animal and he made coverings for them. He made clothes to cover their shame. Go back and read it. It's all there. It's the beautiful picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, being sacrificed to cover our shame. And here, God meets us. He meets you in all of this. He meets you in your honesty for the ugliness of this. And he sends his son so that you and I might know, oh, this is what life looks like. Oh, this is what it looks like to relate. As our song said earlier, this is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom looks like. And Jesus becomes that example. But more than just an example, Jesus steps in to heal what was broken. And he, he becomes very personal because he comes and says, I'm going to take on me all the pain of this. I'm going to take the sin from your life that caused all of this, I'm going to take it on myself. And he said, I'm going to go to the cross. And there the Bible says that Jesus bore our sin. He bore our pain. He bore our sufferings. So that we, though we had been in sin, might find freedom from our sin, that we might find a way to a different place, that we might find a way for healing to happen so that we might be healed ourselves. And he makes a way for us so that you don't have to live broken. Praise God. He makes a way so that you and I might know a different way of living. Not just in heaven someday, but here on earth today. So that the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to 
clean all this up and then come to him? He said, no, what I ask is that you admit this is true and come to me and then I'll pour out my grace on you. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, to those who are willing to come, to those who will make themselves a disciple, to those who will sit at his feet. He will heal and he will teach you a new way of life where there is healing. And he will restore what's been lost. He'll heal your ability to relate. Your ability to relate to him and your ability to relate in your marriage, your ability to relate with your family, with your friends, and with the lost world around you so that you actually become an expert at reconciliation. And Jesus does that in the cross. He does that by you and I humbling ourselves and receiving it. Now, I want us to look at a passage that's going to help us see the good news. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you have your Bible, uh, turn there today. It's just beautiful, fascinating, glorious what God has here for us. Because I want you to, I want you to see this one more time. Sin causes us to be insecure, guilty, self-punishing, desperate for attention, and victim mentality. Look at what happens for those who have been born again. Colossians 3 says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Let's park right here for just a moment. Every word of scripture is valuable. Every word is intentional. And every word is packed with truth. The first thing we see here in this verse, he says, therefore, as the elect of God, as those who have been chosen by God, this is what healed ability looks like. If you recognize that in Christ, he has chosen you, then that actually does something to you. It's not just a word on a page. It's an important, powerful truth that God in heaven looked down and saw your life in pitiful excuse for what it was on our part, amen? In our sin, doing what we wanted to do, saying, I don't need you, God. God looked down in your broken ability and said, I choose you. I'm coming for you. Not to knock you over the head with a pool stick, but to show you grace and redeem your life and make you new. I'm choosing you. Woo! When you recognize that the God of heaven, the holy God, the creator of the universe and all things and all time, this God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Noah, the God of Moses, the God of Sarah, the God of Esther, the God of Mary, that this God has looked into eternity, set his sights on you and said, I choose you, that does something to you. That changes you inside. When you recognize you're chosen by God, it'll do away with any insecurities that you might carry in your life. It ought to. It ought to be part of the process of healing in your life. You say, well, I still walk around with insecurities. Then I would recommend to you that you look up every verse of scripture that has to do with you being chosen by God and being the elect of God and watch what happens in your life if you pour yourself into that. You watch insecurities melt away because you'll understand all of a sudden I'm somebody because God chose me to be somebody in Jesus Christ. You'll build up your insecurities with some powerful security in who you are in Jesus Christ. You'll recognize you're chosen by God. You'll recognize you're chosen for a purpose. You'll recognize you've been chosen to glorify God. You'll recognize you've been chosen in mercy, that you have meaning, and that you are secure, and that you belong. Amen? That will change you. That'll change you in your relationship to be secure. You can be at a place where you say, 
God has loved me. Jesus has chosen me and died for me. I belong to him. I'm secure in him. I can open up my heart and talk to this person across the table from me. Hello? I don't have to fear what they think because I know what he thinks. He chose me. I'm secure. I can open my heart. I can be honest. I can be confident. I don't have to be stuck inside. I don't have to be stuck in self-analysis. I don't have to search my heart. He searched my heart. He gave me a new heart. If I'm going to search anything, all I have to do is search and see if I have faith to believe what he says. Amen? Hello? When you understand he's chosen you, you'll recognize some healing taking place here. Let's go back to the first part of this verse. Therefore, as the elect of God, those chosen, the second thing he says here, you've been chosen, but also you've been made holy. Now, I get it. Most Christians struggle with this point right here. Say, ah, I just don't like being called holy. I get it. I'm just telling you, you are what the Bible says you are. You have been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. The one who is holy took on your sin so that you might take on what he has, and that is righteousness and holiness. Your holiness and righteousness is not based on your track record. It's based on the gift from God. It's based on what he has declared you to be. So this will stretch your faith. You want to change your behavior? Then declare what he's called you. I have been made righteous. It might be awkward for you to say it, but that's because you haven't believed it. Sorry to get all personal. You... One of the most awkward things you'll probably do this week, if you'll do this, if you'll actually do this, is say, God, I am righteous because you call me righteous. You tell yourself that this week, every day, and watch and see what happens next. You'll start finding strength to actually walk in righteousness. Most of us are trying to figure out how to walk in righteousness so we can get the banner and the, the pen of, of declared righteous. And God says, I don't play that way. You come to me in Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you every spiritual blessing in the heavens. I'm going to put that badge right there on your heart. Now, you wear it and walk it. When you recognize you have been made holy by faith, it'll start healing your relationship ability and it will heal all of your guilt self-punishment. You'll stop, you'll stop trying to punish yourself because you'll recognize Jesus took your punishment already. You'll stop trying to somehow pay your way when you realize Jesus paid it all. You'll stop trying to get to the place where you hope you can be better when you realize Jesus said it is finished. When you recognize he's declared you holy and you walk in that and believe that, it will start healing you. You'll recognize I am who Jesus says I am. I am not my urges. I am not my appetites. Just because I feel a certain way does not earn me a dysfunction, a disorder, or a label. You are not what you are tempted by. Mm. I don't care what urge you feel. Do not let the world tell you because you had that urge that therefore that is what you are. I am what Jesus says I am. I might have a temptation but he declares who I am. 
I might walk through a trial. I might walk through a time of discouragement in my life, but that discouragement and that struggle and that temptation is not who I am. It's simply something I'm walking past. I'm walking into who he has said I am because I come from where he says I am. Amen? It makes a difference. And once you recognize it, it'll change this part of you. You'll stop beating yourself up all the time and you'll stop beating up other people all the time. When you recognize you're not under guilt and having to punish yourself, you'll stop guilting other people and stop punishing them as well. Boy, when you're living under it though, you just become unbearable. You just become obnoxious, frustrating to people because you keep focusing on their faults and their failures and their sins and their weaknesses and what they did to you and what you want to do to them. That's because you haven't dealt with this. You haven't let God heal this part of you and actually say to you, I've removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. I have given you the gift of righteousness. I call you holy and blameless. You see, when you begin to be healed by that truth, it'll start making you grateful for all things instead of complaining about all things. It'll make you humble instead of arrogant. You'll not be obsessed with your faults anymore. You'll be obsessed with the righteousness of Jesus. You'll not be obsessed with everybody else's faults. You'll stop being so critical. You'll stop being so cynical. You'll stop being so pessimistic. You'll stop being such a downer at every party you go to and every relationship you're in because you'll recognize that God has done something powerful in your life that changes you. This stuff is not just religious Sunday talk. This stuff is life stuff. Amen? This heals relationships. But the verse also says, uh, first it said elect of God, that's chosen. It says holy, and then it uses this word beloved. Beloved. It's like the word love, but it's a little different because it sets its um, focus on the person. It means someone is um, really delighted in. You're fond of them. You really want to be with them. You want to share your life with them. They are your beloved. Heather is my beloved. With the beloved one, you pour out your heart. You share life. You know intimacy. And here, God says, you are my beloved. You, one who was a sinner, he's chosen. He's made you righteous. And he calls you his beloved. And you begin to be healed in your heart because you've been let down by other lovers, friends, family members. You've known the pain of being walked on. You know the pain of being gossiped about. You know the pain of rejection. And here comes Jesus into your life and he calls you beloved. And it takes a while because at first you're not sure you can trust another person. But you recognize he's not like other people. And he starts healing that inside part of you. And you start recognizing his affection for you his sacrifice for you, his tenderness for you, his protection for you, his permanent, secure love for you that you can never, ever, 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 ever be snatched out of his hand. You are his beloved. And when that enters your soul and it starts healing you and the broken places, it starts changing things inside you. And now all of a sudden you find yourself not so selfish. You find yourself, since you know you're loved, 
you actually begin to sense other people's needs. You start sensing when someone else is hurting. And this strange thing wells up within you that you'd never felt before called compassion. You shed a tear for someone else. It's because you are beginning to experience what it's like to have your heart healed because you're his beloved. Amen? This is how God begins the process of healing our ability. Now, every word of Scripture is important. The order of Scripture is important. This verse began, let's back up again, began with these words, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. This is where it starts. If you are not allowing these to heal you, what comes next will be an impossibility to you. You have to let Jesus heal this in you before you can have the capacity to love in reality. The Bible is not just a nice self-help book that you can pick up at Target that tells you 10 things to do to have a more healthy relationship. The Bible is about a redemption plan that God moves in your heart to perform and then gives you the ability to do what we're about to read next. If you haven't dealt with these, the rest of this will look nice, but will be an impossibility to you. Are you with me? Let's see what happens next. Put on tender mercies. Be tender with those around you. Be merciful with those around you. Show kindness. Show humility. Put on meekness. Be patient or long-suffering. Those all come as a result of the healing. You can't do those and think, now maybe I can get to the healing. No, it starts here in what Jesus has done for you. And when you'll believe and receive this, and allow it to permeate into your heart, then you'll have your ability to relate healed and you'll start being tender, you'll start being merciful, you'll start being kind and humble and meek and long-suffering. Let's go on. You'll start bearing with one another. That means putting up with in a good way. Not putting up with like, oh, but putting up with like, I know where you are. I hurt for you. I'm here for you. You start bearing with one another. And you forgive one another. Wait a minute. New topic. Forgive? That had not been up here really yet. Forgive? What does the next part of the verse say? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You start learning that you have been forgiven. You start realizing, oh my, Jesus didn't just come to sit with me in my sin Jesus came to remove my sin and he calls me clean and forgiven. He takes all my sin and removes it from me. It's not on my account anymore. It's not there anymore. It's not held against you anymore. It is removed from you. And he says, now, as a result of this being healed in you, when you understand how much you have been forgiven, you'll begin to be able to forgive others and you won't be so consumed and have a victim mentality where it's all about you and how everybody else has hurt you, how everybody else has done you wrong. You'll recognize, oh Lord, it was me. I was the one. And so I come to you 
and now I find you have forgiven me, you release me, that'll change your victim mindset. It'll put you into a victorious mindset. You'll start looking at people differently. You'll tear up that list of all the names you got in your head and your heart of all the people who've hurt you. And you'll start making a list of all the people that you want to forgive, that you want to be good to, that you want to be kind to. Forgiveness then does away with blaming, justifying your own sin. You recognize he has made me righteous. He has forgiven me of my sin. He has cleansed me. And I want to show that to others. You start loving other people. The woman who came to Jesus and poured out the fragrant oil at his feet, Jesus said about her, you see how she loves? She's loving much because she was forgiven much. She didn't come in that room with a victim mindset. She came in with a worship mindset. This changes relationships. This heals your ability to relate. This can make you into a relationship expert. Hello? Doesn't mean they're all going to be perfect in your life, but you will become, as the Bible says in the New Testament, you'll have the desire and you'll have the ability to Help reconcile people. Help reconcile them to God and help reconcile them to one another because the cross does that kind of healing. Amen? Last verse, we'll finish today. In this passage, it says this at the end. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Interesting. You and I today hear love and we hear dreamy romantic radio songs, right? You hear the word love and you think of romance. You've, you hear the word love and you think of some emotional experience that you have with another person. This really isn't that word here. This is a word for love that says put on love. It doesn't say just put on ooey gooey feelings for other people. This is a word that actually means put it into practice. This means now do it. You can look at all this stuff and say, wow, cool, nice. I feel a little emotionally moved. Great. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, the right step next is to do what he's called you to be and to do. And it might mean today that you say, okay, wait a minute. I all of a sudden recognize I don't even have a relationship with God. I've been religious with God, but healing my ability to relate to him, only today has it first made sense. If that's you, then it's time to take the step in saying, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And I will now live my life following you. I repent of my ways and I come to pursue you with my life. It might be that you've done that, but you need to take the next step. Step of baptism. It says, Lord, I've, I've done it here, but it's time to do it here. I believed in my heart, but now it's time to put it into practice. There are some already here at our church who've said, I've, I'm really close to wanting to be baptized. Hey, Today is the day of salvation. It's time to take the step. It's time to say, Lord, I'm in. I'm ready to identify with you, with your sufferings, but also your resurrection. I'm ready to stand up for my faith, for who you are in my life. But it might be that you've done both of those and this has hit closer to home in an area in your life. And you've recognized there's more of, this maybe that needs to be healed. Don't leave today without making some kind of 
commitment to God that this is what you're going to do. God, I'll seek you. God, I'll allow you to heal me. And God, where I need to, I'll go and make things right. I'll go talk to that person. I'll go ask forgiveness. I'll go give forgiveness. Because the cross heals. It heals here. And it heals here. Amen? It heals vertically. And it heals horizontally. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning, your word has spoken plainly to us. And we've all come into this world unable to relate to you properly, unable to relate to one another. But you've met us in our sin. You sent your son, and he took for us all that was broken, and he healed. And by his wounds, by his suffering, and by his resurrection, we are healed. The things that stood against us have been removed from us. There is no more guilt, and condemnation, and shame. There is no more rejection. But now there is life in you. There's freedom. And that healing has begun. Lord, I pray we would act on that. That we would believe what you have said about us. That we would walk in what you've made us. That there might be healing that happens among us. That that might be the greatest testimony to the world around us of what you are doing in us. So I pray for that kind of healing to continue today. I pray for just even miraculous stories to come out of our body here, of relationships restored, of hearts redeemed, of new things happening that are unexpected, that are only by your hand, that are stunning, that are truly miraculous. I pray for those, Lord. Where there's been broken marriages, broken families, I pray for healing and restoration, even right now, for hearts to be changed, for ability to be restored, for new life to come where there's been so much pain. God, may that happen here beginning today. I pray it open paths and doors for that kind of reconciliation to occur. We recognize it only comes from you and we stand in your presence ready to receive what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.